Okay, everyone. We're getting off to a pretty late start tonight. This is the way it is, for whatever reasons. Any case, um, <clears throat> we're continuing the discourse we were learning last week, Shira Shirim Dafyud Gimel. I do want to mention, however, that tonight's class has been sponsored by Anonymous. And this is Luschus and a bracha for Rafur Shalem and a miracle. Fehenya bas bracha devoraleya. Have a refuah shalem a take of me out of miraculous refuah. One that should stun the, give us such such a miracle. That's the month of miracles, so why not? And uh, for brachas revealed, good for all the Jewish people. Thank you to Anonymous for that sponsorship. Hashem should bench you and your family with all the brachas that you need. Okay. So last week we started this very interesting discourse, this beautiful discourse in Shira Shirim. Hashem says, your cheeks are beautiful. This is in Song of Songs in uh, the end of the first, somewhere, yeah, towards the end of the first chapter of the Song of Songs of Shira Shirim, where Hashem says, your cheeks are as beautiful with your when you're wearing your earrings. Your neck, with um, your necklace. So last week we learned primarily the first half of the verse. What does it mean? Your cheeks are beautiful, but Tyrim. So just to do a brief review, we learned that Tyrim is a type of ring, earring, but it's a triangle earring. And um, the concept of that being is that um, the sages tell us that your cheeks are beautiful with that. You know, Shirashirim has a simple meaning, it's literal meaning, and there is also the medrashic meaning, so the, which means a deeper meaning. Sages tell us that luchayach, which means your your cheeks, can also refer to the luchot, the two tablets. So the luchot, which are the tablets, are beautiful, but with rings, which are referring to the two, torim also comes from the word of toros. So your cheeks are beautiful, which means your tablets are beautiful, with the two Torahs, because we know the Torah has two parts. There is the revealed Torah, and there is, not, I'm sorry, there is the um, Torah Shabbat, the written Torah, and then there is Torah Shabbat, the oral law. So these are the two Torahs that there are, and they each one refers to, uh, is, is that's what we say, your tablets are beautiful. The question he asked was, he asked was why then doesn't it say Betorot? Why does it say Betorim? So he explains the relationship between Torois, which is Torah, to Torim, which is a ring or a piece of jewelry, an earring. And he goes on to explain that the shape, we have to notice that the shape of the of the Torim is not just an irregular round earring, but rather it's a triangular earring. I showed a picture of it last week. As it was uh, from the uh, from the um, Steinsalz um, um, uh, uh, on on Ksuvim, on writings, where over there he shows an ancient type of of this of this earring. So what is the what is this idea? What is the concept? So he explains that um, the relationship of Torah to this triangular earring. So he explains in general, we know both the Jewish people and the Torah are called segel. So let's refresh everybody's memory. 
Segol is a one of the um, Hashem says regarding the Jewish people, the Yisam Li Segula. You will be to me a cherished. Simply, it means a cherished people, like a little, like a treasure. Um, but also, the Alter Rebbe explains that Segula is from the root Segol. You will be my Segol. What's a Segol? A Segol is a triangular form of dots, which is used as one of the vowels in Torah. In other words, to read Torah, we have to dif- differentiate the word, the letters themselves could be read in various different pronunciations in the Hebrew alphabet. So, for example, in the English alphabet, A is usually that A sound. Uh, it has va- slight variations in different words. And E is E sound. But in these are the vowels of letters themselves. But in Torah, it's not that way. There are that as well. The, when you add a vav or a yud, when you don't use nekudot, you can also figure it out by certain letters. But the nekudot are the vowels that give you the sound, whether the uh, the a sound of the aleph is going to be a uh, which is, comes from the, the, the shava, or uh, or it's going to be a s sound, whether it's a segel, or it's going to be an a sound if it's a tzere, two, two dots, or if it's going to be a o sound, if it's going to be a comets, or a, or a O sound, if it's going to be a cholam on the top. So you see the various different nekudot that there are behind the letters. A segel is a, it's it makes an S sound, but its appearance is two dots and a bottom. So when it says regarding, and, a, and, a, and, a, and then a third dot between the two dots or beneath it. So the idea that Hashem says to the Jewish people, you will be my segel. Um, now, just like we ourselves are a segel, and you can say on the Jewish people, we have the segel, we have the, tri- no, there's a triple element. He doesn't say it over here, but I'm sure it says somewhere. For example, we say about the Jewish people that there is Kohanim, Leviim, Yisrael. There are the Kohen, the priests, the Levites. The Jewish people divide into three general categories. We also have three fathers, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. He's alive. The number three runs through a lot in in Israel amongst the Jewish people. Um, so that's the that's the idea that we are Segula, a special. He also c- explained what Segula also means, that a Segula means an omen, a certain m- means of behavior in which um, you get a certain result, even though you can't explain rationally how you get that result. So he explains that the relationship of God with Israel, with the Jewish people, is not based, it's not it's not it's not based on any science science. It's not a scientific entity. It's not based on rational logic. It's coming from outside of the entire system. It's above and beyond the world. It's above beyond any system. It's an absolute reality. And even though sometimes you, you one is baffled by the depth of that relationship or how there's nothing that can break that bond. It's enduring, it's forever, it perseveres in all situations. Because reason and rationale and logic doesn't govern this relationship. And that's the meaning of it being segula. So we'll soon see if we can connect that back to the other meaning. You will be my segol. Now, why would we be called God's segol? A segol meaning three dots. Because our primary attachment to God is a three-prong relationship. The three-prong relationship manifests itself in the three manners of worship. The, 
our worship of Hashem is through Torah, Avoda, Ugimilas Chasad. And that's what the sages say in Pirkei Avos and Ethics of the Fathers. The world stands on three things, on Torah study, on worship of prayer, and on Gemilas Chasadim, on doing acts of good of kindness. Gemilas Chasadim also means all the mitzvot, all the observances, physical observances. Torah study is a primary part of a Jew's life. A person should spend a nice chunk of the day studying Torah. Some people who have the unique good fortune that they can study Torah all day long. But mostly people have to, every person has to set time to study Torah. So that's one means of connecting to God. Another means is through meditative prayer, prayer and on a deeper level, meditative prayer. And another means is doing God's will, which is doing his mitzvahs. So that's why, and that forms a bond with God. Now, what, what that really means is the reason why it's divided in three is because our primary soul structure is also divided in three. I didn't discuss this so much last week, but a human being is really um, three triangles. Uh, there is, on, in Kabbalah, there's a triangle in the head itself, Chachma Binadat, that's the three elements of the brain, of the intellect, three faculties. There's a triangle in the emotions, chesed gevura teferes, kindness, uh, severity, and harmony. And then there is a a triangle below the two legs, which are netzach and yohod, and then yesod. So these are foundations. These are the three triangles that make up the, the person. So because we are structured in these columns of three, right, left, and center, our relationship with God also works through right, left, and center. He explained what is the significance of the right angle of our connection versus our left, and then we understand what's the center. The right entity of our connection to God is drawing godliness downward, but he actually lays, he, the, the way he lays out the, I spoke right, left, and center, but actually the order in which we we serve Hashem, um, okay, the truth is we could call it right, left, is first an ascending element of love. As we discussed last week, a person seeks to be to connect to God. It's more, it's more of a, a quest, a yearning, a desire, which is developed through prayer. We open up ourselves to a deeper, to our deeper selves. We discover a dissatisfaction with materialism, with just empty physical life. And we're searching for something more meaningful and deeper. When God opens up our eyes and we're able to perceive that we are, we are trapped little, little sparks of infinity trapped in a, in a physical body. We bang on the doors to try to get out. And that's what we do by prayer. It's a really interesting idea. We're actually banging on the doors of the prison that's holding us, which means it's eliminating us and confining us into such a, into the here and the now and the limitations of our superficial world that we are kind of trapped in, but we sense there's something deeper and more to life and we want to see and we want to experience the infinite. So prayer is a form of releasing ourselves and actually reaching beyond our confines of our the material and even of defined even spiritual existence till we actually touch the infinite and to a certain degree 
dissolve into the infinite, melt into the infinite, to the point that we go beyond all differentiation, separations that make up the definitions of the world, and we experience the infinity of the of the only of of God, and that's prayer. So that's compared to fire; it's an upward thrust. We're we're, we're trying to tear ourselves away from the limitations of material existence and to reach to the infinite. When we reach the infinite, we hear very loudly God say, saying to us, hey, what are you doing up here? <laughs> God is happy we reconnected to him, but then he says, what are you doing up here? By you re- reabsorbing yourself into me, and it, it's, it's like, why did I create the world? I sent you down to be a beam of my light in the world. So we say, hey, yeah, that would be nice, but I forgot that I'm a beam of your light. So I just came up here to refresh my memory and recognize who I really am. Now I can go back and beaming your light. So that's the second mode. That's drawing godliness down into the world through acts of of holiness and godliness, as we discussed last week. A mitzvah is really ultimately where we are acting as a channel for the infinite to manifest in this world. So we're bringing back, we're, we're uncovering God within the finite allowing God to operate within us and through us and manifest in, in our world. Our hands become his hands. Our feet become his feet. We are now channels of him. And that's an action. So therefore, action and mitzvahs are compared to water, just like water flows from a high place to a low place. These two modes of service are, now, here's the thing. The mode of prayer is more motivated by love. The mode of mitzvah observance is more motivated by awe and fear. When I say fear, it's not a it's not a, it's not a negative fear. It's it's a surrender because of his awesomeness, and I surrender my will for his will. His will overpowers my will because my will wants to stay in this transcendental medita- meditative state, and I don't want to deal with physicality at all. I don't want to deal with the world. I don't want to deal with with, the, with with my body and, and being alive down here. I want my soul to exit the body and just be reunified with the infinite. So the fact that I'm embracing my mission to come back and to deal with people, to, to, to restrain my infinite enthusiasm, which sometimes, you know, intense enthusiasm gets, can, can scare people away. So I have to like hold it back. I have to, and speak more calmly and deliver a, a godly message to the world that is more restrained, that's difficult. But why do we do it? Because we surrender ourselves to God's will, which overrides our own will of ecstasy. So it's a mode of fear. And that's the, that's the water flowing downward back into the world. Sometimes we learn chesed and gevura opposite. But in this, in this mimer, this is the way he learns it. And these are the two top um, um, dots even dots in the segel, standing side by side. But then there is something that comes next, and that is through Torah study. What's Torah study? Torah study, on the one hand, which I did something I didn't emphasize last week, Torah study is the dot that goes below and beneath the 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 the, the other two two dots. Um, so let's first explain why is it bet- why is it between them, but it's not evenly between them. It's lower, but really it's much higher. So let's understand how that works, and that's as as follows: um, the, what what the two 
dots, upper dots, upper points of this uh, of the segol represent, they have, what they share in common is in both of them there is a recognition that there is high and there is low. And there is less godly and more godly. And in prayer, the emphasis and understanding is that in order for that I realize the motivation in prayer is I sense very much the state of godlessness that I'm in. And I'm breaking out of it because I can't stand it. So I'm feeling... I'm feeling very much that there is an existence that's blocking God, interfering with God's oneness, and I can't stand it, and I can't bear it, and therefore I'm running away from it. So that's in prayer. So it, it's it's a it's an it's a state of elevation from earth to heaven. I'm running from earth to heaven because I acknowledge and I feel that earth is less godly than heaven. And I want to go up to a more spiritual place where I can enjoy his infinite and bask in his light. Then, uh, well, in the other mode where I'm saying I'm returning back to earth, what's the point? I'm returning to earth, as we discussed last week, to fix earth, to brighten up earth a little more. So I'm still living in the consciousness that if I bring down heavenly light from above, I will fix my body and I will fix my world and I will fix reality around me. And I'm doing it, of course, because God wants that done. But there is still a, 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 I'm still living within a consciousness and an awareness that there is closer to, to God and further, further from God. But then there is a much deeper awareness where there's an opening, a certain level of depth where suddenly it hits a person. Now, what we're talking about over here, we can discuss these things and speak of it, in, in and, and I can go through these levels, but even when I'm speaking about them, I'm just speaking about them. We're talking about to emotionally really experience this and a very to really be there, not just to talk about it. So to be there is a whole, a whole different level. We can talk and give an entire class about the concept. But to actually go through these experiences and to move into the third level, it takes a lot of work. But here is the idea of it. There's suddenly a, a consciousness and an awareness, a realization that he that that in truth, he is, there's none but him, literally. So there's no higher or lower or closer or farther. It just is. He's the is of everything. And so how is that practically if he is, if he just is uh, equally above and below, it's truly him. So then there's not even two things bonding. It's, it's, ju- it's just dawns upon us. It's God's exclusive being. And the worlds are nothing more than just him. His very being is, it, is emanated in everything. So what does that take? Or how do we express that? Or how do we live that? not just as an abstract idea, but to actualize it, we're actualizing that when we're learning Torah. Because when we are learning Torah, what are we doing? We are just, when you learn Torah, you empty yourself out of self and you replace yourself 
your consciousness with God's consciousness. Basically, your entire consciousness becomes now Hashem's consciousness. Why? Because your mind, instead of our mind thinking our thoughts, we're thinking God's thoughts. And our mouth, we're going to see soon that when we study Torah, it's very important to verbalize it, to articulate it in words. And the point is, here you have God, it's amazing, here you have God thinking in the containers and in the vessels of us. Not only God is thinking in our in our containers and our vessels, he's speaking in our containers and our vessels. And when we really understand what's going on, we realize it's not our container and it's not our vessel. Because the the neshama lach v'haguf shalach, the soul the soul is yours, and in truth it means the soul is you, and the body is also you. It's just that we imagine that our bodies and our soul and our minds and our thoughts is ours. So we run around, you know, thinking our own thoughts, hijacking God's brain and high into ours, and we think our thoughts and we say our things. But this is a sudden realizing that, no, let God just be. So how do we let him be? So when we suddenly plug our mind into him, we shut our channel. That's what learning Torah study is. You shut down your channel, your own channel. What's our channel? Our channel is our, our thoughts are always running whatever our emotions are driving it to run. So now we say silence ourselves. Just be quiet. Shh, shh, shut the channel. Until you don't hear yourself at all. And now you immerse yourself suddenly and, and, and you're thinking what God is thinking. He, the way he's pondering, the way he's back and forth, how he sees a concept. The rabbis, they were able to channel God's thoughts. And that's what the Torah is. So you allow yourself to just channel his, his thoughts and then you speak it also. So not only is he has he now uh, fully overtaken your mind, he's now verbalizing, he's, he's, he's expressing through your mouth. And as we said earlier, the point over here is that it's not our mouth and it's not our mind, it's just God. So now it's just revealed that he is, there's not, it's just him. In that sense, it's much a much deeper connection than it's coming and it's demonstrating a much higher and deeper divine truth than through prayer and so these are layers. Things are multifaceted, multidimensional. So the other two are certain stand equal. This is deeper. But then you'll ask a question. If it's deeper and it's higher than the other two, and therefore you have to first have, you have to move your way. You can't instantly be in the state of learning Torah and be empty of self of self completely and be just a vessel and a, and a funnel for God. You first have to meditate on how lowly we are, how dark we are, how separated we are. And how how deeply our potential is because we have a soul, and then yearn to break out, and then reach a level of integration into the infinite through that in the prayer, and then return back to try to clear a little bit out the the garbage over here, to cleanse, to purify through doing mitzvahs and bringing more godly purity into the body and refinement and so on and so forth. And after you go through these stages, you can delve much deeper. And get to a point that that the human being down here below is just literally divine speech and divine thought taking place over there. For as much time as you're studying and you're learning and you're immersed in in in, in what God's God's interests are, believe me, if I'm learning the 
intricate details of a dead corpse. I mean, I've been learning this week about if there's a piece of a dead body hanging between the room, a little bit of sticking out. It's sticking out from a hole on the roof. On the top, there is a vessel. I Generally, I would say I couldn't care less about that. I'm not. That's not part of my world that that interests me. I'm not interested in Chassar God forbid, and dead corpses that are laying this way or that way. But we spent the entire week, all the people who are studying Rambam, are learning these most complicated laws. Literally, they drive you crazy. You sit and learn. So why are you learning them? Because for whatever reason, it's God's thoughts. Now, obviously, the God doesn't have anything better to do than to think about dead bodies that obviously the deepest existential secrets are hidden in these laws. The way God sees them in his all of, he sees it in all of its infinity. But the laws are still containing those infinite truths. But when you are now emptying your mind of your own thoughts and you're allowing God to think through you, so now it's revealed down here that he is, there's none but him, as we discussed earlier. So if that's the case, so why is it the dot that's lower? It should be higher. So what the Tzemach Tzedek adds, which I saw today, I haven't seen last week, the ads, the reason why it's lower is because generally the Torah, Torah study, when you're learning Torah, not mysticism, like we study Thursday night, but when you're learning halacha, the Torah is very, very enclosed in material concepts. And because the Torah is so enclosed in the material world, it is, it feels like much lower than prayer. Because prayer, you're engaging the God, the spirit is, is spiritual. And even in a mitzvah, in which you're channeling downward, it seems like, in some places it says in a mitzvah, you're actually going to touch the physical object and not just, it's not just thinking about the physical. But I guess when you're doing the mitzvah, even though you're engaging a physical object, you don't have to yourself you don't have to put yourself so much into the material aspect. You can feel the excitement, the the, the energy of doing a mitzvah. No, you can be in a, your headspace, can be in a very spiritual place. Physically, you're doing the act. You know, God, what you're doing something with the physical, but you're not in 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 immersed in the physical. But when you're studying Torah and you're studying these concepts, you have to immerse your entire consciousness. Because if there's a piece of you thinking something else, then you're not thinking Torah. That's why it's interesting. The, the great Hasidic masters have trouble with, with one. The great Hasidic masters are teaching us to be conscious of God 24-7 and to be in a constant state of dveikut. So then in prayer, it's not a problem. That's the whole idea of prayer. In mitzvah observance, they don't need And more than that, they teach you how to have dveikus when you're eating. And they teach you how to think about the spark of holiness and so on. And how to find Hashgacha Pratis, how to find God in all, in all, and even in business dealings, you find like the, 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 the God is peaking. You see how Hashem is running things. You're constantly looking for, for, for Hashem mixing into your business and, 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 and doing these little tiny crumbs of miracles that happen in our lives all day long. So we become aware of it. And things like that. So you can, you can remain, maintain your, 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 your higher consciousness, your, your dveikus. So in mitzvah, and by, obviously when you're doing mitzvahs, you're doing an object, you're doing an action, but your mind can be focusing on your attachment to God. The one time the Hasidic masters have a dilemma is when you're studying Torah. Because when you're studying Torah, what are you doing? You have to immerse your mind into the logic, into a into a certain subject. It's very material. That moment, if your mind is thinking about God's unity and the oneness of Hashem and his infinity and so on and so forth, 
then there's a piece of you not immersed in the learning. You're never going to get the concept. In order to get something, you have to be fully there. If you're halfway thinking something else, you're not studying. So if you completely lose your, completely immerse yourself and delve into something, and where is your mind thinking? It's thinking material. It's thinking world. But here's the catch. The reason it's not a problem. Now, the Hasidic masters explain that, that what you should do is every hour, let's say you're learning for like five, six hours straight. I wish I would do that. But let's say you're doing that every hour, put yourself a little alarm. It'll vibration, vibrate alarm. Let it vibrate, you know, so you don't get that. And you hear, you remember, oh, what am I supposed to do? You think about Hashem for a few minutes, for a moment. Reattach yourself. Think the Torah I'm studying is God's Torah. And this is not just, I'm not immersed in this because of the, of, I'm, it's God's, and I'm making the attachment. So you do it every hour. So you see, why did they have that problem only in Torah? But because in Torah, you're most invested in material discussion of the world. So that's why it's lower. Now, but on the other hand, it's not lower. You know why it's not lower? Because when you are thinking and immersed in that, it's not, you, you're not there. God has entered into that this into that arena where your mind is because it's his thoughts as we said before I on my own wouldn't be thinking this I, I, it's not my personal interest to figure out this this intricate situation over here it's it's not applicable to my life I never going to have this this question it's not, and if I have a question I'm going to go to the rabbi he'll tell me what to do I don't need to know this information but why am I learning it because this is this is God's wisdom and and I want God to think in my brain. I want to empty my thoughts from me to allow him. So it's really Hashem, but it's lower, but it's really much higher than, because in the other actions, it's still self. I want to draw close. I want to fix. I want to draw him down. There's a self that's not divine. That's what we learned is the power of the segel. Amazing. So, okay, this is a little summary of last week. So we learned as a result of our segel, God reciprocates. What's the reciprocation? There is a supernal segel as well. When we extend ourselves to God through our service and our worship to Him, through these three prong or three approaches, Chesed, Gevurit, Teferis, on our end, we merit and elicit from above a reciprocation of God. He comes down also as a segel. But his segel is an upside down segel, we learned. It's what's called the segulta. The segulta has got the, the one dot on the top and the two dots on the bottom. And we learned what's the reverse segel. From us, from us, we begin with the two top dots because we have to start our service in duality. And then we leach it we reach that higher level of singularity of there's only him as we discussed, which is the third part. We move through a stage of relationship till we reach a deeper truth that it's it's him and there's nothing but him. In the segol, in the segulta, things coming from God, God when God is going from inward out, he's starting with his absolute unity. And then he emerges closer in order to bring it down to us. He channels into the various different side channels, chesed and gehura. So from Hashem, it starts, like, let me explain. Our 
our three dots are chesed, gevura, teferis. Hashem's three dots are keter, chachma, bina. A crown is the top one. The chachma and the bina are the... So Hashem comes from the infinite, what's keser, the crown, or ain't so. And from there, he lowers himself down into the channels of the right, into the channels of the left. And here is we have the two, so the two, the two segels. So we learned last week. However, that's the way God fashioned us. And if we do basic service, if we serve God just in a basic, on a basic mode, on the entry level, basic prayer, basic mitzvahs, basic Torah study, then we are already achieving this level of segol, and God reciprocates and He extends to us his, Himself as a segulta, and the two and the two um, segols meet, and we bond with God on three columns. However, the Alter Rebbe says, now Hashem says to us, Toyrezov. Esalach or Nasalach in the Kudes Kesef. Rings of gold I will make for you. That's the next verse after this novel. Rings of gold I will make to you in the Kudes Kesef with silver studs. So what does that mean? So the Alter Rebbe says what God is saying is as follows. I want you to turn your segol into a triangular ring. What does that mean? Earring. The difference between your segol is segol, a segol is individual points, three dots, but their dots are not connected one to each other. I want you to draw lines from your dots. I want you to draw lines from one dot to the next dot, three lines connecting the two upper dots with each other, and then the two lines going down and connecting the right to the middle center and the left to the middle center. And now you're going to have a ring, a triangular ring. But in order to do that, you have to upgrade, as we discussed last week, from silver to gold. The mellow service. When you serve me with a mellow interest, okay? You're Jewish, you're excited. You're a Jew, and I'm not talking about you're not excited. I'm talking about love. A person is praying. And, but it's not, it's not fanatical. It's not, you're not going crazy. You're not rapturing. You're, you're, Obviously, you know, if we're in a relationship with God and we appreciate that we can bond with him in such an unbelievable way, we should be madmen. We should be lunatics. We should rapture. We should be all crazy. And and Judaism wants that fire. God wants that fire. We come, Our energy level is a billion times more when we're rapturing. And that's the point. God says, I want madness. I want the love. I want that, you know. So kick it up a couple of notches. That's the idea. So when we turn it into gold, it will stop being studs. It will become triangular earrings. What does that mean? There will be such an infusion of the pure energy of your soul. As you transcend your love, your fear, your this or your that, there'll be such an infusion of self, of your very self, of your very essence. And what the essence is, the essence is the source of your love and the source of your fear. 
It's the source of your chesed and gavur. It's the source of your teferis. And when that emerges and infuses you, what happens is it causes all three to blend together in the singularity of your essence. As long as you're mellow, so you're but you're basically the point of the air. If our service to God is on the external level of our existence, our external emotions, our external emotions, each each emotion is fixed. Each, each, each emotion has its own stimulate stimulation, and each emotion has its own time when we when we when we when we access it. But then it's very the system is holds. Hashem says, I want beyond the system. I want the interwovenness, the interconnectedness, which comes from it's not this about you or this about you, it's you. And when it's you, the full you automatically it's going to express itself in the variations, but the variations are all blended and unified together. And that's the power, as the Alter Rebbe says, of the world of Tikkun. The world of Tikkun is where there is a unification between the Sefirot. It's not just individual, this Sefirah, that Sefirah. That's more related to the world of Tohu, the world of chaos, where each, every attribute was just a point, a poignant point, but just a point, the integration. So Kesef, Silver's, represents mellow service. Upgrade of the service, upgrade it to gold. Now, when you upgrade it into gold, you turn your your segol into two triangles. And as pointed out last night, last time after the class last week, that that could be the secret of the Magin David symbol. It's two triangles locked with each other. One is the upper one with the thing, and the other one is the other one going down. So you see this shtetorim, these are the two rings that click up to each other. Because when we extend to God, not just our mellow segel, but our passionate, fervent, fiery, triangular earring, God reciprocates with his ring as well on the other end, from above, where he's, with his, where his emanation to us, also through these three 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 energy flows are infused with some with orient self with the infinite light that's higher than this mode and that mode and therefore includes them all and unifies them all into one powerful bond of essence to essence. Segel, just like the dots of the segel, and beis b'chena segel v'segulta are two segels, a segel and a segula. Which we said, one has the dot on the bottom and the other one has the dot on the top. Which means there is our, mamata lamayla means us from below extending our three, three points to Hashem. Mamayla lamata is God's reciprocating and sending his revelation down to us. So when we upgrade it, our three pronged service, and we turn it into gold, not just silver, which means we unleash the fire of our, our of a deeper self. We get involved in a much deeper self because of our ecstasy and our our madness of being in a relationship with God. So when we upgrade it, when we turn it into the two triangles, the triangular service, which means it's not just dots, but connected dots. Which means, yeah, Hem Gam came based So it becomes also two rings. 
our ring to Hashem, our three-pronged service infused by a singular energy that that is unifying everything. And it from above, from Hashem to us as well. And this manifests or shows itself in in the two Torah that there is. Torah Torah the written Torah and the lower Torah and the oral Torah. What does that mean? The written Torah is purely divine. It's coming from God to us. We have no innovation in it. We have no input. What are the letters of the Torah? God emanated and gave us and revealed to us his Torah. It's the divine, it's the it's the law of God coming from above. The oral Torah even though that too was given by God to Moshe at Sinai, but it has it has much more our innovation in it. Because Torah the rabbi studied it with their own minds, with their own understanding. And every Jew, every person who studies Torah is able to add add to the Torah. You can add your novel ideas. Of course, it has to be based on Torah principles and fundamental um um ways of thinking and based on 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 true ideas but but we can innovate in torah so the torah is created by it's created by us by the by all the souls throughout all the generations we created the torah now when we say create it means we discover the truths but these are divine truths but we discover them now if what does he mean when we're talking about two triangles, so in what sense are the two Torahs two triangles? Let's understand. In our Torah, for example, in the Torah itself, there's there is this the Torah itself includes within it Torah. The Torah itself includes within it mitzvahs, because the Torah teaches us how to do the mitzvahs, and the Torah includes within itself sacrifices and prayer. How do you know how to pray? And where do the prayers come from? Let's think, stop for a moment. Where do the prayers come from? Most prayers are Psalms. Where are they? Come from the Torah. It's prayer, but, but it's Torah. So Torah includes within it all three connections. Now, the three elements, the three elements that are in the Torah are both in the oral law and in the written law. Because in Chumash itself, you have its Torah. It also has mitzvahs in it. Every parsha has it. This week's parsha, Vayishlach has a mitzvah already. You shouldn't eat from the sciatic nerve of the animal. It's a mitzvah. And there's positive mitzvahs too, like the mitzvah of circumcision, which we learned a few weeks ago, and so on and so forth. But primarily after parsha Shemos, uh, there we get all the mitzvahs. So there's the mitzvahs in Torah, including the mitzvah of giving tzedakah, which is the mitzvah of all mitzvahs. It's all written in the Torah. And including to that, the Torah talks about sacrifices, which is elevation from down up. Or the Torah, there's even prayers that are in the Torah. Shema, Shema Yisrael Shem Lekeinu, is a, is a form of a prayer. And where is it? It's in the Torah. Az Yashir, the song of it is part of the, part of the prayer. And it's in the Torah. And in, in Chumash, in addition to that, all the Psalms, all part of the Torah. Now in Torah Shabal Peh, in the oral law, there's also three, because there is the Torah of the oral law, Torah Shabbat, the 
in the oral law there is the Torah of it. There is the mitzvahs of it. There's the logic of it, the Torah of it. Then there's the actual instruction of how to do a mitzvah. And then there is the prayer element regarding the same ideas. So whatever there is in the, in the, in the written law is in the oral law. The oral law is just in a far more expansive way where all the details come out. So that's the idea that we have now two triangles. A triangle from below and a triangle from above. But now what's left to ponder is what does that have to do with our cheeks? The two Torahs, why are they connected to our cheeks? So he's going to point out something really, really interesting. What is the meaning of your cheeks are beautiful with, through the rings? What does it mean? Lechayayach means cheeks, but the cheeks are really the flesh that covers the two the two jaws. Okay, you have a jaw on the top, you have the jaw on the bottom. The cheeks are connecting the two. So, what is unique about the two jaws? Ashi, you're calling to learn Lakota Taita? We're in the middle of the Lakota Taita here. Right now, you're online over here. You're learning, yeah. Amachaya. Tell me something, Yishmak. Hmm? No, I don't think so. When do I have to give it? I might need a picture. I might need a picture. I might need a picture. I'm going to rent the car. Right now? Okay, I'm going to go get it now. I'm going to go get it now. The only thing is, it's a mommy's. Okay, so you know what? You'll call me again if you need it. All right? Thank you. Bye. My son is calling me from Israel. Okay, sorry for the interruption. So lechayayich means your jaws. What are the jaws? It's wild stuff. You see, speech, speech comes from our mouth. And all utterance of speech are coming from between the two jaws. Okay. So Hashem is saying your jaws, are, your, your, your cheeks are beautiful, meaning in this sense, your jaws are beautiful. Betayrim with their rings. Why? Because we discussed earlier, when does, what, what is God getting excited about, about us? God is getting excited about us that our service to him is not mellow, but that he says, let's get you upgraded to gold. Let's get you moving into the gold. I, I, I like it when there's like this, in, this, 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 inner, this inner drive, this inner passion, this inner fire of your soul. That has a lot to do With speech. What do we mean that has to do with speech? 
there's a certain power that lies in 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 words coming out of a person's mouth to to inflame passion and fire in other words when a person thinks an idea they will not get as flared up and excited about it as when they speak the idea speech has we'll soon see why speech has a an, an, an ability to take a flame or a nice mellow fire and turn it into a blazing inferno. Speech does that. You find, you know, when a person, it says, it says when a person is angry, if you're mad about something, something really is upsetting, they say, don't talk about it. Because if you talk about it, you it, it it you get worked up, worked up. You, you you thought about it all day. You started talking about it, and suddenly you you go into. <laughs> Let's say why. Speech is primarily breath. Speech is breath. Where does the breath come from? The breath comes from the heart, from the lungs, right, which is right next to the heat of the heart. The seat of the emotion is over here in the heart. The heart is where the heat, full of blood, pumping the blood. That's where the emotion are. So, for example, it's not only with anger. It's with love as well. When you're thinking how you love someone, it's something. But when you start talking about it, you choke up. Why do people choke up when they start talking? It's like when a person comes somewhere, he has a thought. It's, it's a momentous occasion. And they're kind of chilled, you know, they're warm, they're excited. And they, they start talking and suddenly I, I can't, they start, they need a tissue, they need a thing, they need a, they, you're choking up, I can't speak. What happened? Because you're letting the breath out. The breath is coming from the heart. Now watch this. The word, uh, so speech is based on hevel. Hevel is breath. Hevel is the same letters as halev, the heart. You're basically letting the heart out of the box. That's what you're doing. You're letting your heart out. And that's why here's the third set of letters you can make from the word hevel. Hevel, which means breath. Halev, the heart. And when you let your heart into your breath, what do you get? Lahav. Lahav is a flaming fire. It actually says this week in the Parsha in the Haftorah, the house of Yaakov will be fire. Yosef, the house of Yosef, Lahava, will turn that fire into a lava, into a blazing uh, um, um, inferno that will burn down Esav, Esav's world. Esav will be full of straw. And they. So therefore, in Judy, in, 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 it, it says in, in why is it that Jews study Torah? Torah is a divine discipline. It's a divine science. It's God's mind. And it involves deep thinking, deep understanding. Why is it that the study of Jewish people, when Jews come together or we learn, is not like a quiet library? Everybody sits and reads and thinks. You go into any other place. 
any other study of science and anywhere, it's quiet. It's people are thinking. You go amongst professors and scientists and people, people are thinking. Go into a yeshiva, go into a study hall. It's loud, it's noisy, arguments, strong. And even when people study themselves, what are you going to see? They, they shake, they study, and they say loud, and they sing a song with their learning. It's always with a tune and with a song. Why can't you just study and just think the thoughts? You gotta let you gotta let the flame out. That's the thing, and it's the actual saying of it that actually fires up. And that's why in prayer it's also, you know, in prayer we speak. We have to say the words. You can't just come, just sit there quietly. Everybody be in meditation, do yoga. You know, put your feet up behind. Well, it should be a shul. Should be that way. Everybody should be in a yoga meditative state. We do different different movements, and it'd be like it doesn't work that way. It's the end. You add song and sing. It's the breath, because when the breath comes out, it, it allows the heart to come out. So that's why Hashem is saying, it's all between the two jaws. because it's the your jaws that turn your entire worship for me from being just silver studs. To turning into gold rings. That's why the rings go on the cheeks. Because the rings, it's the cheeks, the, the two jaws. That's great. And you know what? The two tablets are God's two jaws. From where God's breath comes flowing in between them. God didn't just think the Torah to us. He spoke the Torah to us. He allowed his heart to flow through the two tablets to us. Remember we said the two rings, one from up, down, and one from us. The two tablets are God's two jaws. And, and then there's our two jaws in which we speak Torah. And that's how the two, the two segels, which are not no more segels, which are just dots, they're two Torim, they're two triangular pieces of jewelry locking together in unison and in oneness. When this is the meaning of novel lechayayach betoyrim pirish lechayayach, what are the lechayayach lechia elyon the upper jaw, the lechia tachtin and the bottom jaw, mokoim it's the place moitze hevel adibur which allows the breath of speech to come out. Ki havla salik leela. He's quoting a passage of the Zohar. The nature of breath is that it goes upward. In other words, it flares up. It's Breath has a lot of gvura in it. Gvura means fire. The istalkos and arising. It's the flames of fire. Which brings us the quality of gold over silver. In that Maimari explains that the hevel, the breath of the heart, same letters, hevel, halev, it's only Hevel has the base first. See? Same three letters. Hevel is breath. Halev of the heart. It's the same letters as Lahav. See how in Hebrew, every way you'll turn the letters around, they'll give off the concept that, because it's really one essence that's just expressing itself in the variations of how you set those letters up. Or one energy. Fire is associated with the heart, which is associated through the breath comes out in speech. So breath and of, of, of Torah, 
So it's not enough to think Torah, because then it would be all cool and collected and calm. And God says, and you know who had this particular power more than anybody else? More than anybody else. A heart of hearts, King David. And that's why, because King David is using his mouth. He's singing a lot and he's singing psalms and he's learning Torah also with song. And he's, David HaMelech was different. King David was different than all the rabbis in his time. They couldn't tolerate him because of that in the beginning because he was a fire. His love, it was fiery, fiery. And that's why his grandmother, great, great, great grandmother, the famous Ruth, called Rus, we call her Rus. She's the grandfather of King David. The, the name that Tzemach Tzedek says, the name Rus, if you rearrange the letters, the other way you get Toyer. Toyer is the triangle. Because she's the founding of Malchus based David, where Malchus based David is the power of fire of the heart, of speech of the fire. And she's called Rus to say, just say, because she, she her, her grandson, satiated God with his songs of praise. Merave didn't stop. So her name is associated with her grandson, King David. And she's called Torah, because again, in order to turn your Judaism from points into a triangle, which means the three are not just three, but the three are infused with a singular essence that's infusing them all, how do you get there? We're not always in, we're not always in control over our emotions to pull ourselves out so deeply. One of the, let's just call it segulot. One of the manners to help that is whatever you're studying or learning or something. First of all, don't just think it, say it, say it loud, and add fire by singing a tune to it. And by doing that, wow, it's going to take everything to. A, Levels of potency and energy and fire that you wouldn't have because you'll allow your heart out of the box. That's the point. And now, the other thing now, it's not only the, the Hevel Halev, the, 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 the breath of the heart, it's not only what turns the dots, the studs into, into an actual ring because of the fire, because of the gold, as we said, the gold is fire because of the fire. But also you see the triangle in the heaven itself. You see the three, why? Because the breath is made up, the breath of speech is made up of fire, water, and wind. Wind simply, when you talk, I'm doing it right now, I can feel wind on my fingers if you're putting it pretty close to your mouth, you can feel the wind, you're, you're giving off wind. Then there is a balance. There has to be some moisture. If you have a very dry mouth, you can't talk. Your horse is dry. That's when there's too much fire. But also, if this, if your mouth is too wet and there isn't any heat there, there's going to become very – people who have too much moisture in their mouth, you don't understand what they're saying because the words come out all – what water does is water connects. Just like you take pieces of sand and you put water, it becomes mud. You take pieces of flour and you put it together, it becomes dough. Water is a connector. When you speak, on the one hand, you're giving off a singular energy, but you're also chopping it up into letters. So the fire 
that's in that's in your words chops helps you divide divide it into letters the water manages but there has to be a little moisture there to keep the letters connected so there's a balance of separation and connection taking place plus wind so it's fire wind and water which are the three things we spoke about before prayer is fire water is and it's all there in the speech in the hevel um and that's why the to speak is also called Amer, Amar, he said, Amar, Rabbi Akiva, Amar, what's Amar saying, which is speech. And the word Amar is the acronym. Aleph is Eish, Mem is Mayim, and Resh is Ruach. Eish, Mayim, Ruach. That's Amar, it's Amira. And that's why it's so important to speak Torah, not just think Torah. You got your triangle and you got also the, the, the heart in it. So you have the whole ring. Okay. So the quality of this extra potent love. What it does is it takes, it makes toirim, it makes rings, triangular rings, to these dots. And when it turns him into lines, integrating these various different points of service, one from the other, and these are the jaws. That's the place from where the breath of speech comes out. Why is why is it the breath that's that's up, that is that is causing the, the relationship to move to a much fiery, powerful place. Because the nature of the breath is that it rises upward, which is, it has the fiery element, very strong, which, as we said earlier, flares up the relationship to a, to a far more intense state. However, so we understand already the rings. There's nothing in life that you can look at. There's nothing in the world that is just mundane. Amazing. You talk about, you think about jewelry. There is, there is godly explanation to every type of jewelry. Earrings mean something. Necklace means something. Bracelets mean something. A ring on the finger means something. Every single type of jewelry has divine significance. Because every, this world is a world of divinity and truth. It's only our divorcement. When we divorce the world from its spiritual content, the things start just becoming things. There's nothing just things. It's all divine energy. So it's so beautiful when you learn a discourse on your jewelry. I can imagine, especially for a woman who wears jewelry, that suddenly you wear your jewelry different. You understand that this is not just a physical item. This is a, a mark of, 
of, of, of divine light that I'm just expressing in my body. I'm able to express the jewelry that the Jewish people as God's, as God's bride wear. And any person that really is bonding in a relationship with Hashem can to a certain degree achieve these levels of jewels. Avol, the Eberster says, but however, God says, your neck has a, has, a, has a necklace. And that, wow, God says, I love your necklace. I love your neck wearing the necklace. So what is a necklace? A necklace is a different, so we spoke about the triangular earrings. But now when we talk about, so first thing is for sure. If my wife ever, if I ever have to get her earrings, my, her next pair of earrings is going to have to be triangular. <laughs> but now, the the necklace, what's a necklace? So he's talking about primarily a pearl necklace. The pearls, like people have pearls, lots of pearls. So you have stones, individual stones. And the pearls is you take a string, whether it's a silver or a gold or whatever, or it could be just a... A plain string, you string it, and all these pearls come together and they form a pearl necklace. So you got a, a stone, and then you have a puncturing that goes through and through, a hole that goes through and through, and you put the string it through and that. So God says your necklace is beautiful. I love I'm 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 and it's so beautiful, you know, you're so what does that mean? These are precious gems. And pearls. And each one of them is really separated. But when you turn it into a necklace, what happens? You gather these pearls together or these precious gems together. And you set them up in a set manner because they are hanging all together. They're hanging on this thread. The thread goes into them. And it, it, it connects them all that they should remain connected one to each other, a whole string of pearls as they're all connected together and they don't separate one from each other. So therefore, where do you put it? Where do you put these, these stringed pearls? It's primarily people wear pearls primarily on their neck. Pearls are most likely to be a pearl. You can have pearl earrings, yeah. But you can also have, primarily, it's like a pearl necklace. Which means that there's something spiritual about the neck itself. You got, we spoke about the mouth or the cheeks. Now I'm talking about the neck. And the relationship of that neck and throat connecting to a string of stones. So what is the idea? What comes through our throat? Through our throat, same, similar to the cheek, voice. But it looks like over here between the two mouths, he, he primarily didn't talk about voice because voice, voice is not created over here. Breath comes out. The breath comes out. The fiery breath comes out from between the jaws. But the voice itself is coming really from lower. And it's mainly the vocal cords are back here in the throat. So the verse says, two weeks ago in Parshas Toldois, we say, Hakol kol Yaakov. Yitzchak, Isaac, tells his son Jacob, who was the father of Israel, the Jewish people, 
He says, what makes you unique is your voice. Your brother, Esav, he is, his power is in his hands. But you, your power is in your voice. And he says double. Koil, koil. The voice, the voice of Jacob. Sages say many places that Israel, the Jewish people, their power is in their mouth. Even Bilam knew that. The Midianites, uh, the Moabites, when they wanted to defeat the Jews, they called a person. They said, "When well, I can't fight them with swords. We can't fight them with, with bullets, with guns. They, you have to, because their power is not physical. Their power is spiritual through their prayer, through their mouth. But so, what is the, what is this idea? The power of the of 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 the, of, of our vocals, of our sound." Now, every word, word is important over here. First of all, it says two times, kol, koil, the sound, the sound. Yitzhak could have said, the sound of Yaakov. He says, the sound, the sound. Another thing to note, the first time when he says the sound, it's written, kuf, lamed. It's missing, it's mi- now usually when you write the word koil, which means a sound, or kol, it's spelled Kuf Vav Lamed. Where here it just spelled Kuf Lamed like as if it would say Kal. Kal means light. Not Kol sound, but light. The second time it says it, it says Koil, Kuf Vav. Obviously, there's got to be a secret over here. Why the set? First of all, why the repetition? Secondly, the first time without a Vav, and the second time with the Vav. And then he says, Hakol Kol, whose sound? Yaakov. Doesn't say Hakol Kol Avraham. Now, simply because Isaac wasn't talking to Abraham, he's his father, he's talking to his son. Yeah, but why does the Torah orchestrate? You see, all these events are really divinely orchestrated events. This is a story about divinity, which is expressing itself in a physical story down here. So that's the whole idea of what we learn Hasidic. We're learning the divine structure of the story. So why is it that it's Precisely Jacob, Yaakov, who is given this blessing or told this this about him that is the voice, the voice of Jacob, of Yaakov. So he says, let's analyze first Jacob, who is Yaakov. Yaakov is the name of our third patriarch, Jacob. But it's a name that he had initially in the beginning of his life. And this week in the Torah portion, we learn he has an upgrade. He goes from Yaakov and he's given the name Israel, Israel. So why, so let's first add, but obviously our original Yaakov is very significant. What does Yaakov stand for? Yaakov stands for two two. You can take the word Yaakov and divide it into two. Yud, the first letter is a Yud. The Yud means a point, a piece of divinity. Or a crumb of the infinite, if that's possible. And that's the essence of the soul. The soul is peace of God. But what did we say in the beginning of the class? That peace of God was then sent down into a body, into the lowest form of of existence in terms of, even though it's a human body, still the lowest form of existence in the sense that it inhabits the physical, the lowest world, which is the material physical, as opposed to angels and other celestial beings which go on levels upon levels. The soul, that's a piece of the infinite, comes down into Akev. So what is Akev? Akev means heal. 
And the idea that it conveys is within a human body. What's the lowest, 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 lowest part of the body is the heel. You don't get lower than the heel. The heel touches the ground, the bottom of the foot. And we say, what is it, what does it mean to be a human being, a Jewish man or a woman? You're a piece of God hanging out inside the heel because you're in a body. The yud, the highest, comes down in the ache. It's fine. So that's yud ache. But what's his power? Obviously, if God traps a piece of his infinity into a into a hill, it's got to have a, a very very important mission. What's the job? So that's the mid of Yaakov. So first of all, what you're seeing over here is if Yaakov is such a lofty soul, if he's such a lofty, lofty, lofty soul, Jacob, if he's a Yud, a piece of, Yud is the first letter of God's name. And that's the, the what, where the soul is originates in. It's a piece of the infinite, as we discussed earlier. And it's coming down to the bottom of the world. The first thing is, then, is that it's now serving as a long, 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 long string. Because when we say a soul comes down here, it doesn't mean it's like a crumb that's dropped from the highest heaven and falls, free fall, falls into a body. It means that that lofty, lofty soul is stretched like a piece of chewing gum. Okay, You're pulling it, pulling it, pulling it, pulling it. You're stretching it out, out. God stretches the soul down, 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 down. So what it really does, what is the Jewish job? is to link the highest, highest, infinite light of God, to link it down, 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 all the way into the body. Now, we are conscious of our soul only like the part of our soul vested in our body, but our soul runs through all the all levels of existence, higher and higher and higher until it reaches the very tippy top. So already you see that the concept of Jacob, and that's why the Torah, by the way, this concept in in Parshas Hazinu, which is the second to the last Torah portion, Hashem refers to Moshe speaking the, the, the famous song, and he refers to the Jewish people as Yaakov Chevel Nachlaso. Yaakov Chevel literally means a rope. Yaakov is a rope of his inheritance. What's the idea of a rope? Just like a rope that's tied, a long string, it's tied all the way up, and then it goes down, down, down. So, but the Jew is a thread of divinity that is comes all the way down. But when it comes all the way down, what does God do? He threads it throughout the entire, through all of existence. The soul's threaded all the way down. Oh, right, right, right. So once we got the thread, you're beginning to see, remember we were talking about a necklace over here, that is a thread that runs through a bunch of stones. So we're seeing already that Jacob, Yaakov, on his own, he's a threat because he's a Yud, which is from the highest of the high, and he goes all the way down into the Akev, into the hill. And that's why Yaakov is called, it's a thread, it goes through from one end to the other end. 
But let's understand something. Why are we attributing that dot only to Jacob? What's with Avram and Yitzchak? Abraham and Isaac, aren't they also a threat? No, because it's only Jacob. Because the unique thing, remember we, we discussed earlier, Avram is Chesed, Yitzhak is Gevura, and Yaakov is the center. The unique thing about the center is that the center column is longer than all the other columns. Because it goes from the very tippy tippy top, low, 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 low. The other ones are shorter columns. That's what it is explained in Kabbalah many places. So the only one that threads from the highest to the lowest, that's why we find Yaakov is the one of our forefathers that God pushes him into the lowest of places. His life leads him. His brother Lava and his encounter with Esau deals with his daughter being raped this week in the parasha. Then he goes down to Egypt, loses his son. I mean, his life is like, because that's what it is. He's got to go into every challenge, into every darkness, into every difficulty. But he's got to maintain his godliness everywhere because he's got to thread everything. He's got to put the divine thread into all of existence. And then his descendants, which we are primarily called after him, we're called Israel, after Yaakov. And we're also called Yaakov, not only Israel. It's part of our name, the Bnei Yaakov, Beis Yaakov, right? Like uh, The Jews' idea is to get in everywhere. But here's the thing. When a Jew gets everywhere, his purpose is to carry that thread through, to thread the entire world to God. We thread our way through the diaspora. We thread our way through country after country. We're carrying the string and we're putting it through every, but how do we do it? We bore a hole in the center of all, of every being and all of, all of, to allow for the thread of divinity to come through. The reason why some people get very uncomfortable with Jews is because not everybody wants to have a hole drilled through them. I think that's the best explanation on anti-Semitism that has ever been said since the world was created until right now. (laughs) When you drill a hole through the belly of somebody coming out the other side, at a certain point, they're going to get a little upset. However, when we explain what that hole is all about, a crevice, a space in which God's light can pass through. So then maybe people won't be so upset because it's actually pretty cool and pretty neat to have God running through you. If you're stuffed and blocked and your ego is so thick and dense that you can't allow God to come through you, then you're very pathetic because then you forever will remain a a finite temporary um, a fleeting being that is here today and gone tomorrow. However, if you allow the thread of divine to come through you, then you become unified with the divine. So for that, you need those threaders who will thread the thread, those who will come with the thing and go through. And that's the job of the Jewish people. How do we do it? We do it with our voice. When Jews go so and speak the words of Torah, speak the divine truths, either speaking it directly to people or even living in the countries of all the nations in the world and speaking Torah, speaking the word of God in the world, what you're doing is we're boring holes throughout all of creation or threading a thread of divine to move across the entire world. That's the concept of the thread with the stones, as we're going to see, which you make that at that necklace, and where is it going? God is saying around your throat, because that's our job with our throat, with our vocal cords, to bore, coil, coil, to bore a hole, to bring the thread of the divine. 
Whose voice is it? We're channeling God's voice through our vocal cords into the world, as we're going to see. Um, even to the lowest of places. The effect of the Jew, see, earlier when we're speaking about it rings, earrings, and our connection to God is our personal connection. We connect to God through learning Torah. We connect to God through prayer. We connect to God through doing a mitzvah, but it's still our, our space, the Jewish space. But then there's a big world outside of us, outside of the Jewish people. What's with the outside world? That's what the necklace is. The necklace is taking it much further. You're stringing the stones. You're stringing, which means you're getting to the farthest things. That's the point of the string. It goes from the highest truth, from the absolute, and it goes down to the lowest of places. Now, obviously, we understand the high and low over here means what is more receptive to divine truth and what is less receptive is farther and lower. And to carry the divine reality into the lowest of places means to that which was originally most resistant and most unaccommodating and unyielding and unacknowledging of God. That's very far from the first and legamri. Worlds of separation, devarim zarim, even reaching foreign things, that are completely separated. But what the Jew is supposed to do through J- through Jacob, through Yaakov, and he's the four the forerunner of this, and then all of his children follow him. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to open up a channel so that God's voice can come through all of creation. A voice is a drawing. When a person, a vo- what does a voice mean? A voice is a you're projecting yourself outward, or you're allowing yourself to flow outward. So the voice of God means to to have a a a a a channeling of the divine, and that it should reach everywhere, even things that were utterly disconnected. From coming from above, that it should become attached, the yisyachadu. And that all these foreign things that were once foreign and once disconnected and separated, all these things should become unified. Gamheim, also them, into the unity of God. And this is why we find that out of all people, Yaakov engaged in this type of work of stringing things together. And where did we find it? In last week's Torah portion. The first thing he does when he's when he starts his embarks his mission, going out of the yeshiva, going out of his father's um, um, oasis of holiness, and he's traveling into the world, he right away, his first thing he does, he starts picking up stones. But he doesn't just pick up stones. He picks up stones and he lifts them up to be his pillow, to be around his head, which means he's going to put his head, what's his head? His holy consciousness, his holy connection to God. And his head is really his yud. What did we say? The beginning of the word Yaakov is yud eker. So Yaakov's head is is the yud. The yud is the piece of the divine to rest that into the stones. In the story, you don't find him taking a drill and drilling holes into it, but that's really what he's doing. He's putting his head and the stones are going around his head like a neck, like a bracelet. 
goes around. It went around his head, around his neck, but it went in a semicircle around him. And the point is that he's connecting these foreign objects and he's connecting it to his head. How is he doing that? Through his voice. He takes from the stones and he puts them under his head. What does it mean he takes from the stones of the place? What's this place? Simply it was the mountaintop. They call it the place. The real meaning is as follows. Who is the place? Who is space itself? Everything exists within space. But who is space? The sages say God is the space of all of existence. Because everything was created inside his space. He is not contained by the space of the world, but he definitely is the bedrock of it, and he also encompasses it from the outside. So everything that exists, exists within him. And therefore, God is called the space. God is the space of the world. So Yaakov is taking stones from the space. What does that mean? We all familiar in the Pesach Haggadah, we, we say, Baruch HaMakom, blessed is the space. It's referring to God. Baruch HaMakom, blessed is God. Why is then, oh, but the lowest, now, when we say God is space, we are, we are giving off a connotation of God's imminence to the creation. We're not talking about a distant being, because God as a distant being is beyond being the space of the world. He's utterly beyond time and space and utterly can't say about him that he's even the space of creation. He's, he's, he's infinitely higher that he can't. So calling him the space of the world is actually speaking of God as he is very engaged, very present, where he lowers himself down kind of to be the cradle of creation. Where the creation is like the infinite, the, inf- the infant, I'm sorry, the infant, the baby that's inside the cradle and God is cradling the world. Okay, that's why he's called the space. So spiritually, it's referring to the level of God called Memalekalam, and he fills the world with his light. He lowers himself down into time and space, or to become the foundation of time and space. And he's called Makan. Now, because when God lowered himself down to create the creation, he unpurposely, this is so wild, he unpurposely splintered little pieces of, of himself to become separated and disconnected from him. Because God didn't want a world in which it's evident that he is everything. He wanted a world that gives off an appearance that it's not him, that there's some otherness. So the general, so the mamalakalam, the makayim, which is the general space, kind of produced some loose stones. That's what we would call the loose stones that are not connected to to the space itself. There's the space, which is the the divine. And then there are separated stones that are sitting on the top and they look random. So what does that mean in the creation? It means pieces of existence that seem to just exist without any source, without any purpose, without anything. They just hear, which is what, so he's going to translate it as Everything is made up of divine words, letters. So in the higher realms, 
you can see how everything is a divine code. Everything is words of God. You can see it's all coming together to create this one magnificent divine lecture or speech or whatever that, that makes up the world. And you can see how everything fits into this divine pattern. Everything is words of Hashem. But there are some words, some letters that have just become like Scrabble. Like you take the letters and you throw them and they become random letters so that you don't even, and they just look like an individual N and an individual C and an individual Q and an H. And they, they just, so too God's scattered his letters, his words to create that the physical world in which you have items that seem to be just random, unrelated to any higher divine master plan, things that just exist, physicality on its own. Yaakov is picking up these loose stones. He's putting them around his head, as we're going to see what that means. He knows his job is to pick up the stones and thread them with the thread, as we're going to see. The thread of the unity of God, of the oneness of God. So he says, now stones and these are the letters. And this connects to the concept of space. Let's go back. I said earlier that space is what? Space is God cradling the world, right? It's Hashem cradling the world, which means Hashem is lowering himself down, to, which is called Mamalakalam. Mamalakalam is divine speech. From within divine speech, there are most of the speech was like, is like makes sense. It's part of the speech. It's almost like God said a speech and it's like brilliant. It's brilliant. But in the end, he just threw out at the end of the, or he writes a book and in the end, there's just two pages of random letters that don't seem to be just, just letters. And that's what our physical world is, the random letters that are just seem to be disconnected. So Yaakov now has to go pick up the letters of the space because and if God wouldn't to lower himself down into letters, there wouldn't be any random letters. These are letters that have fallen from the space. So these are the letters Shenoflu that fell, during the shattering of the vessels. The Yaakov and Yaakov, who am I And he's the one who brings them, or Maila and he elevates them. He lifts them up to his head. What does that mean? To his consciousness of God. He, he, he in his head, in, in his inner, he sees the, infin- the infinite. He sees the, the absolute one being. And he infuses that truth into the stones. Now, now, going back to the necklace. So the same idea. So this concept of what Yaakov did is really threading a necklace. That's what he does. But here's the thing. The only way you can thread a necklace. And what are you doing when you're threading a necklace? You have individual stones, but now you're turning them all into one necklace. So there is a world that's fragmented. And to unify all the worlds into one harmonious, unified entity expressing the, the singular the singular essence of God that is expressing itself now in the through the prism of all the various different creatures, each one giving off its own light, but it, each one reflecting the light. But it's all the it's all the reflect it's all the reflection of the singular being that's in it. But how can you 
you can't just take stones and and attach them. As we said earlier, you got to make a hole in them. And just like in the in the metaphor, the the necklace from these this pearl necklace from these precious gems, Shem Nekuvim, they are hollowed out, or they are vechalulim. Nekuvim means they have holes in it. Vechalulim and they are hollowed out. So too, the way we can lift up the material, physical world is by making an empty space. What does it mean, the empty space? The empty space means surrendering the egos of things towards God. That's what's uncomfortable. Because if I remind, if I encounter a human being and I remind them of God, he really doesn't like it because he feels like I'm encroaching on his, his or her space. Just the other day, this, I saw this on the news yesterday, there was a doctor from Israel that was invited onto French TV. Um, he was a scientist, a big scientist, and he was invited on to discuss medicine, something. The interviewer, he comes in and he wears a kippah, this guy. He's, a, he's obviously an observant Jew. He wears a kippah. So he came to the, to the, to the uh, interview with his kippah. These uh, interviewers were not found neither of Jews. They weren't too happy with Jews. And neither were they too happy with a religious symbol. They don't. Uh, these are uh, uh, people who are, want to live a godless existence. So as they started the interview, the guy couldn't even get into the interview by first um, ask, saying, I have to ask you something. Why did you bring your kippah into here? What do you want to project your religion on us? You want to project your – the guy was like – and he said, what do you mean? I wear my kippah every day. You call someone by the name of Cohen on your show. You know, you know I'm Jewish, and as a Jew, I wear a kippah. What do you want? And they were attacking him back and forth, this and that. It's like crazy. As if, like, by him wearing a kippah, he's digging a hole in them. He's dead. Uh, I'm minding my own business. I'm wearing my kippah. No. When you're wearing your kippah, you're making me uncomfortable. Why am I becoming uncomfortable? Because your keeper reminds me that there is a higher being, and I don't want to think about a higher being because I want to be able to live my life convincing myself that I exist without any purpose and I can do whatever I want. That's the subconscious reason why people get 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 uncomfortable. And there are other human beings who become so happy to see a keeper because they love God and they were a, a, a powerful reminder of the divine makes them happy. So you got to make that whole. Um, like it says, my heart is, 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 is hollow inside of me. King, King, King David says that. So the space and in our own personal lives means we can't fix something, the materials of this world and elevate them unless we can, we bore a hole in our own hearts. And if I engage with, with physical things and I'm just full of myself, I'm not elevating anything. But if I have divine intent in everything that I do, and I, for example, when I have money, I give the best away for God. When I have food, I take the best piece of the food and give it to give it to a person less fortunate. And it, but it hurts. I want to give the best. I, I just want to give. I want to give them a piece, but I want to give them like from the back end, from the tail, not from the thing. And I say no. 
I'm going to Dhaka, I'm going to do a mitzvah, I'm going to feed, I cooked food for my family, for myself, and I'm going to send someone food for Shabbos, for whatever the person needs something. So I can sit there and say, I'm going to keep this for myself. No, no, no. Look for the finest, the best piece, that's the one you give away. The finest, that's where it hurts. Is you got to bore a hole. And that's where God comes in. God comes in exactly where you made that space. And that's the avoda. That's the, the space. So it only, it's not only about doing it to the world. It's about doing it to ourselves. So that we can thread ourselves with godliness. If we have an empty space, then we can hold the divine. What are we holding? That's when the infinite can dwell inside of us. Because the infinite one blessed to see cannot dwell. And he cannot reveal himself. Only in an entity that surrenders itself to him. To him. Only in an entity that surrenders itself utterly to God. That becomes not. What we mean is not that it, God doesn't want to destroy the world. But the, the, the submission to the point of, we're not talking about a, a negation. It's a negation, but as I emphasized so many times, the very negation is liberation. You're liberating yourself from the external superficial self that is, that is, that is the limited self and you're melting yourself into your true infinite self. So you'll, but you have to let go of the borders and parameters that make you that, that. So it's not about me. It's about God's will. So when I surrender out of myself, I should, that was really every act of surrender should be accompanied by this awesome, thrilling feeling of like, wow, I just, I just broke that fake, ridiculous clown of a being that, that claims it. And I finally, I got out, I got out. So I, you should, you know, when you're able to like take that best piece and send it away, like are you supposed to, wait? it shouldn't be, oh, it should, it should accompany you with like dancing. Like you should like really be free. I'm just free of my ego now. I set my ego flying. I'm like so free now. I have no trappings. I have no more constriction. I'm just like a liberated bird. I'm flying in the infinite because that, 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 um, right. That's that's the real joy that we're talking about over here. It's, so it's not a heavy nullification. You got to break yourself. You got to know it's it's the freedom of realizing that there's a much deeper you, and that your true self is not this stuck up self that that wants that particular piece of chicken over there. There's much more to you than that. And when you surrender that and you open up, now you're free, and now the infinite is flowing through you, and now you're now it's awesome. And so God can only dwell where we create this nothingness, this space for him. That the person should not occupy space. Here's the thing. You can't occupy your own space, then God can't be there. So you have to move away. You're not occupying space, so then He, then there can be a passing of the infinity can pass right through you. You shouldn't hold yourself as stiff and as something else. But how do we bring ourselves to this level of nullification? The nature of our existence is to always stiffen up itself. The ego keeps on reasserting itself. Even when we break it, it keeps on reasserting itself. And, 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 and 
And it keeps on claiming, I am, I want, I am, I need, I want, give me this, give me that. That's the ego. So it keeps on reasserting and re, keeps on blocking, keeps on, right? So you need to counter it. How do you counter the, it's the voice of Jacob that, 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 that bores through, bores the hole. The voice bores the hole. Why? Shaha because when we introduce coil, it evokes intention. Similar to what we said before, how when you speak, the speech allows the heart out. Sages say that that when you pray, you shouldn't pray silently. We mentioned before, you should pray loud because it helps with concentration. Simple meaning. It helps with concentration. When you say something, you're speaking it, so it, it leads the intent. But deeper than that, he explains that when we speak about kavan over here, that voice evokes intention. We're not talking about just thought. The intention over here means a very deep alignment with God. An alignment. So too, Knesset Yisrael itself is called Kavana. I never saw that before. What does it mean Knesset Yisrael is called Kavana? I don't know. We need to in, have the intention of our heart to the Ein Sof, to the Infinite One, in a state of Bittl. I have to still look this up. What does this mean? I never It should be grasped in a person's thoughts and a person's mind that there's none but him. Wow. As you can tell, I didn't prepare this part yet. So I'm going, I'm navigating, really, I just looked at it very briefly. So I'm navigating in uncharted waters, but he's saying something really, really awesome over here. What does Kavana mean? We speak about Kavana, a whole new insight of what Kavana means. He has a new insight. I never saw this in Chassidus. What's the new insight? Kavana means aiming. And you got to aim. Before you shoot, you got to aim. Kavana is aiming. So what are you aiming? Just like when you're shooting a target. You know, you got all the, the ammunition, you got the power, you got the whole thing, you got the trigger, you got everything. But if you're not going to stop for for whatever it is and and carefully align the the gun, God forbid, the, the arrow, whatever it is, to exactly the point where you want to where it wanted to to strike, then it's going to be, you know, quite the contrary. You can end up, God forbid, causing yourself to harm. If you're in a gunfight, God forbid, you have to aim or else uh, you're putting yourself out there and the guy will shoot back, right? So aiming is the most important thing to be able to 
shoot to the right target or he uses over here so he's not talking about guns he's talking about an arrow you're shooting you got to aim sages say that before prayer you have to take a couple of moments in order that you should have kavana he says you know what that means you have to aim your prayers or you're aiming your mitzvahs when you do mitzvah kavana what does that mean it needs to aim what's the it needs to be a target what's the target of your act of your mitzvah your target of your act of your mitzvah is you want to shoot your your you want to shoot your soul into the infinite your target is your target you want to go somewhere with this mitzvah it's not just an act every time you're doing a mitzvah every time you're praying you're praying to lift yourself outside to aiming to get out of the constricted self and lose yourself into the infinite that's your aiming as there was a chassid remendel futafas one of the great chassidim so he 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 chassidim used to daven very long remendel didn't daven long but he prepared for prayer a lot took him a long time to prepare for prayer but once he was prepared for prayer he would take a sitter open up and daven relatively relatively move quicker than the other chassidim so when they asked him like so he said you know when you shoot when I'm doing target, the main time that that a the sharpshooters do, they take a very long time to set their thing. The actual pulling of the trigger is a second, but the aiming that so that's what I do before prayer. I gotta like say, I gotta get my mind straight. What am I doing? Where do I want in this prayer? Where am I going? It's all about the original orientation. In Judaism, you can you can be doing a whole bunch of things, but what is it about? What are you doing? Scoring points so that you're gonna go to the God is gonna give you a big. You know, you're going to get a big piece of Leviathan, as you say, a nice piece of fish one day. <laughs> what are you doing? What's all these actions of a mitzvah? Aim. What, what is your aiming? Kavana. What's your kavana? The kavana is to get out of my stuffy self and become unified with the infinite. How do I do that? By, as we spoke earlier, you're emptying yourself out from self. You're running God's program with your body. You're, you're, you're running his thoughts. You're, you're speaking him. You're doing his wishes. You're, that's the mitzvah. And that should be your intention in everything that we do. That's the idea of kavana. But what evokes the kavana? The aiming, that, that coil, sound, the intention. Why sound? Maybe he will explain later. I'm not exactly sure why. What's the connection to sound? Why is that, why is that helping focus that, that, that intention? Um, let's read again. Kedeli is bitul zaredei bechemes kol yakush hakol moed rakavana vakavana ena machshav levada kimlis machavin to become aligned. Kach bechemes knesses Yisrael nikra kavana. Again, that's I'm going back to that that the Jew al shem shetzarich lechavanes liboy legabe ain't safe baruchu. One needs to intend and aim towards the infinite one. Bechemes bitul that when you're doing a mitzvah, you're doing a study, you're doing any act of it should all be in a state of the desire for nullification to align yourself with the infinite. One should intend this there's no comparison to you, God, and therefore, why would I want to be something else if there's no comparison to you? I just want to be you. That it should be fully cognizant. It should be grasped in one's mind and in one's heart. There's none but God. And therefore, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm trying to bring myself closer to that through this action. 
This is what the Mishnah means, Resh Perikei the Brachas. That this, that the, the, the Mishnah says that the ancient Hasidim would wait an hour before they would pray. Same like I told you about Remendel. Remendel wasn't from the ancient Hasidim, but to us he's like from the ancient Hasidim. But we're talking about the Hasidim in the time of the Talmud. They would stay a long time before. It was because they, they wanted to have the right orientation before they prayed. Like a person who was intending to shoot his arrows into a to a particular known place, so should be the intention of the soul, to exit its container, and to spill herself out, into the lap of her father. Hear these beautiful words? The soul should desire to, to, to break free from its enclosure in the material physical body, and she should be reunited. She says, spill herself out like a, like a daughter has been, has been has been abducted when she was a little girl and she manages somehow to run and, and then come back into, melt into her father's embrace. That's how we should pray. That's how we should do every mitzvah. We're reuniting in the infinite light. To become nullified completely. But when we become nullified, what it really means is is that we become we don't we become nothing and by becoming nothing we become everything. That's what it really is. We can either be a tiny little peep squeak of something, or we can step out of ourselves and become everything. And to become integrated in her source, in the source of life, in the source of all pleasure. I have to lift myself up from my temporary minuscule pleasure to melt into the infinite pleasure. Which is the, 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 the light of the infinite blessedness. So that the infinite should be able to literally, the infinite one blessedness should be able to dwell and reveal himself inside each and every one of us. God could reveal himself inside of it. We just have to create the space and then he reveals himself because he's there. <laughs> he's there. The only the only thing that's, it's not like we have to evoke him and draw him. He's there. He's there all the time. Our, it's our own walls and our own, he created us with these walls, but we can break out of them. He created us to transcend them. Because the infinite one does not dwell and reveal himself. Only Inside somebody who is surrendered to him. This is the concept of making the holes. And the hollowing out that are in the gems. What are the gems? The gems are all the items in this world. The potential to be the most magnificent divine pearls. But we got to string them. Um, in order to be able to put in the wire that unifies them. You need to make the hole. This nullification, in order that my heart, we need our heart to be hollow, to be an empty heart. I want to tell you something really interesting. So we're talking about Yaakov being the string, the one who bores the hole, and then strings the orange self, strings the infinite, allowing it to reveal itself everywhere. It's really cool. So what's the cool thing? 
while I'm preparing this class today, a little bit I prepared, not a lot, but a little bit that I was preparing. I was sitting in the, in the if you can see from those who watch the class every week, that I'm not giving the class in the shul. I'm giving the class at my house. The reason is because there was a Jew who showed up today in the morning, a fellow, and he basically ripped my whole center apart and making holes in the roof because he's putting wires through the entire building. He's stringing the roof. You see what's going on over here? I'm teaching tonight. Last week we didn't. Last week we learned about gold become silver becoming gold because last week I told you I was busy with what was trying to get my upgrades from silver status to gold status. This week we're learning about stringing and who shows up today? The stringing guy who's stringing the building from one eye, putting the wire, and he's telling me, I'm going to pull the same set of wires. I'm going to go from one end to the other end. These are the words he tells me. And then I read over here, talking about Yaakov stringing the string from one end. And what is he putting through live wire? What's the live wire? It's the live electricity. It's the energy representing the orange self, the infinite, going through. But he, but, he, but he was making holes, and I was so conscious of these holes because it's bothering me. He's cutting out the sheetrock and making all these <laughs> – so it, it's literally – we're learning over here, boring a hole and putting through the wire. So what's so fantastic about it? That's what I'm telling you the last – we're living in the days of Mashiach. So therefore, everything you learn in Hasidus has to show up in your life. If it's not showing up in your life, then something you're not aligning. So when we're aligned, everything is working. You learn there, yeah, there. It's it's here. That's it. It it it. What do you think is the physical? St- it's, I, I'm not being cute by finding you these parallels. This is the reality. The reality is it's only him. If that's the case, everything that is true in the up there is now manifesting down here. That's Mashiach. So it's got to be. So I wonder what it's going to be next week. But I'm just telling you that that's just so cool. It was last week. It's this week. And so it is. We move forward. <laughs> it's fantastic. I even told the electrician, I said, I started laughing. I said to him, you know why I'm laughing? I said, because you're here boring holes, putting this through. And I'm reading the, the, right over here. And how did you show up? Like, what? It was crazy. In any case, because they're putting a new security system into my building. So putting cameras. So they put the cameras in. They got this. They brought this guy out to put the, the bore the holes. And he shows up today out of all times. Supposed to come three days ago, but he wasn't. And he got sick. So he couldn't come. So he came today. Why? Because today is when we're learning this. At least I know the job is going to be done well because over here it says, you know. Now, the first call, it says call, call, remember? The first call is lacking the vav. It says hakal. Second one is with a vav. Because what are the two? It says the voice, the voice of Jacob. And we said the voice is what basically makes us focus in on, helps us make the whole in our lives. It brings us to the intent. But which voice? So we know that primarily we use our vocal cords in our in our observance. We use our vocal cords in two things, either like we're doing now, studying, learning, or in prayer. In prayer, we use our vocal cords. And in, in Torah study, prayer and spiritual study. Since it's two different voices, what's the difference? In prayer, we're talking. 
we are conveying our deepest yearnings and our deepest desires to God. We're praising Him, we're singing to Him, we're petitioning Him. It's us talking. In Torah, we're silent. It's God talking through us. And that will explain the difference why the first one is without the Vav in the word Kol, and the second one has the Vav. The Vav is the divine channel. It's actually God speaking. The Vav is God flowing down. The first Kol Chaser Vav is lacking the Vav. Because in the, you see, in the beginning of the day, before we, before we, before we even start the day, we wake up trapped in our ego. So first we have to bang on the door a little bit to break up, to bore a hole, to break that. We have to start. We have to initiate. So we started by praying. And praying is we are awakening within ourselves a desire to set ourselves free from our own trappings of self. But once we break, we manage to contact and, and break out of ourselves, now we can become a conduit for God speaking through us. He's, as we spoke earlier, he sends us back into our body. He sends us back down here so that we can we can channel him. So that's the first and the second. It's prayer. We are rising, climbing the ladder from below upward. Leois. Maybe even more than a ladder. We are shooting an arrow. We are hopping onto the arrow and we're, <laughs> we're holding onto the arrow and we shoot it and we fly up together with like a slingshot. And as he says, like a lion roaring, it's intense, it's out. What he's about to say is that the voice that we're talking about, Jacob over here, is not a, not a little meow from a little cat. It's a lion roaring because we have to realize we are all lions. We're all, we're a piece of the infinite. We're a powerful, the sound of the of our prayer is a roar. However, I was saying that we first pray, and then we, we, we study Torah, and we're drawing God down in our words. But here he's saying seems to be a little different, that we couldn't really etch out our prayer without God first giving us a boost from above. Remember, we spoke about this by Myriv last week when we had the class. We said there's two types of divine assistance. One comes after we reach, and one comes before to, ju- to jumpstart, to give us the empowerment. So we couldn't um, really lift ourselves up from our own prison. My God has to first extend the hand to us. Where do we find that? In Egypt, we were prison. We couldn't get out on our own. God needed to first break our shackles in, of Egyptian bondage and free us. Oh, in Zohar B'Shalach, there's a portion called Tesefta. So it says these words, until the pure ear is not Until the pure ear, ah, that's the voice of God, is not yet shtaka matur, it's not shining, the stones that are supposed to be hollowed are still clogged. What does that mean? We first need to draw down the pure ear 
this will hollow out the stones. It's basically drawing down masculine waters to evoke our feminine waters. Amandaban. Even, of course, he's connecting it to Aleph Ban, to a stone. Stone is Aleph Ban, so we need to get Zayin Akoil. Okay, that's stuff that's to where it's 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 flowing easily. I'm gonna have to finish this next week. Okay. Okay, we'll, we'll get there. Two hours is good. Start a little late, two hours. I'm gonna finish this. All right, everyone.